Amen, friends. Well, do turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, book of beginnings, and to chapter 12, and we're going to read together uh, the opening nine verses, and as you're looking it up, just uh, can I reiterate again, it's a real joy to be back with you this morning, bring with you uh, the warm greetings of the folks uh, in uh, Thurzo before the Winter really begins to set in. It's good to come down and escape before you go back to the wild winds, uh, but it's good uh, to share fellowship with you this morning and to assure you that as we worship together uh, and as they worship, they're praying for us, uh, as I'm sure you are for them too. But let's read together and be blessed by God's living word for us this morning. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left and went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Meror at Shechem, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Let's pray together and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we thank you that your holy and sacred word lies open before us. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, a fresh glimpse of Jesus, ears to hear, Lord, your soft, tender voice speaking to us afresh. That we would know, Lord, the touch of your nail-pierced hand laid upon our lives to lead, to comfort, to guide and to correct. And hearts, Lord, that when your voice is truly heard, that, Lord, our hearts would, Lord, in soft, tender humility come before you, in glad, willing obedience. So, Lord, hear us as we pray and ask for the anointing of your Spirit now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to look this morning, as you'll see on the screen, uh, at the call uh, that Abraham receives, the call to walk by faith. And there are times in our lives, journey and experience, uh, perhaps over a gradual period of time, or perhaps in a sudden dramatic moment, when God comes and He closes with us and He gives us that challenge and that call to follow Him and to walk with Him in the adventure of faith in a way that perhaps is thrilling, exciting, at times maybe even a little scary, but in a way we've never known or experienced before. And that's where we're going to be going with God's help this morning as we look at these remarkable verses from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1. Uh, tonight. Basically, I want to just unpack this this morning, really under four headings. First of all, to look <coughs> at the call that Abraham receives, and then secondly, to go on and to consider the promises God makes, uh, 
The third like to look at the obedience of Abraham's response, and then finally to look at the blessings uh, that Abraham receives at the end uh, as he responds in obedience and faith to God's call. So let's then look at the call that Abraham uh, receives. And there are four things I want us to simply uh, notice and uh, just to hang some thoughts on. I'll tell you what they are now uh, for folks that perhaps want to just jot them down uh, and think about them a bit later on uh, in more detail. The call that Abraham receives, four things. First of all, it signals a new beginning. Secondly, it involves radical obedience. Thirdly, it is issued as an urgent command. And then fourthly, it is graciously and providentially renewed. So let's look then, first of all, at this whole business of it signaling a new beginning. Uh, and you'll see the verses uh, there for you uh, in verse 1 of chapter 12, and also the opening nine verses of the previous chapter, chapter 11. Because it's in these verses we are given something of the context spiritually into which the call of Abraham is, is given. Uh, and to get a better grasp of this, you do have to go back in to the previous chapter. And the first little bit of chapter uh, 11 deals uh, with the building of the Tower of Babel. And this really is the sort of the physical and the spiritual foundational moment for what became known as the great city of Babylon. As you would know, Babylon is, is a sort of symbol for human pride, vanity, arrogance, human wickedness, all of that stuff. And here we see it in, in its beginning phase, in the first stirring of that which it was to become infamous for. They decide that they're going to build a tower that is going to ascend to the heavens. And interestingly and significantly, we are told, in order that they might make a name for themselves. So hubris and vanity and pride is driving this building project. And then we're told of how God comes, and He, he, he walks among them, uh, and uh, He comes in judgment, and He does it by changing their language and scattering them over the face of the earth. And what these verses are showing us is how corrupt and wicked and sinful mankind has become. And bear in mind, this is even after the flood that took place uh, a few chapters before uh, in Genesis 6. Mankind has not learned anything. He is going, it would appear, from bad to worse. And something new needs to happen. God has to come and dramatically intervene and bring a change and a transformation into this situation. And so when everything looks spiritually bleak and black and hopeless, by the end of chapter 11, we turn to chapter 12, verse 1, and suddenly we read these glorious words, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And it's in that moment God is saying simply this, I am not going to allow this to stand. The reign of human sin is going to be challenged and ultimately is going to be brought to its conclusion. God is announcing, therefore, that He is going to do something new and He's going to start doing it through Abraham and the descendants that He will have that will come after Him. And what God actually is doing is announcing nothing less than the dawning of the beginning of the reality of the redemption of mankind. It's going to begin with Abraham, the man of faith, and it's going to end up with Jesus, the man of Calvary. That is how it's going to be. And so Genesis 12 is a very important spiritual fault line. If you read the whole of the 
opening 11 chapters of Genesis, it's about God makes the world and it's perfect and then man screws it up and he makes a mess of it uh, and there's murder and there's killing and there's all kinds of things going on. And there's the building of the Tower of Babel and you just think, is that it? And there's the flood in between. And it's not an easy read at times. And then we come to chapter 12 and God is saying, enough is enough. It's time for God to act. God is saying, I am going to step in to this situation. I am going to restore it. I'm going to rescue it. I'm going to redeem it. I'm not going to allow things to continue on as they have been. So the call of Abraham signals a new beginning. But also, as we've noticed, secondly, it involves radical obedience, verse 1. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. What is Abraham being asked to do? in fact, commanded to do, he is being commanded, in effect, to walk out on everything that he has known, all that he is familiar with, and presumably those that he has loved as well. And on the face of it, this seems a rather harsh, maybe cruel demand that God makes. But as is always the case with the commands of God, there's always something deeper going on beneath the surface, which I'm going to deal with a bit later on. But for now, let's just notice that traveling by faith with God And responding to that call sometimes is a call to radical obedience, making radical decisions that results in a radical change of lifestyle and of personal circumstances. And it was to that that Abraham was being clearly and unambiguously being called by God. As we're going to see in a moment or two, it was a call for a kingdom purpose. It wasn't just because God felt like turning Abraham's world upside down, which I'm sure he was doing that. It was for a purpose. God had his hand on this man's life. And it was towards the end of his life, humanly speaking as well. Yes, this is a message for the young. But those of you who are, let's say, in the pensioner years, don't think you can sit back and go, well, I've had my life. This is for the youngsters. This could be for you as well, friends. 75, he gets this call. Uh, to move on uh, into this new phase uh, of life. And that may be what God is calling you to do. He's calling you to a radical change, a radical decision, a radical departure from all that you have known. Why? Because it is necessary in order that God's plan for your life and the purpose that He has for your life might be fulfilled. And because He wants you to play your significant part in the unfolding of His perfect plan and purpose. One of the amazing things that God does is that He calls human beings into partnership with Him. You know, God is God. God doesn't really need us. God can do what He likes. But God in His grace, and amazingly, He chooses to use sinful, fallen, frail, messed up human beings like you and me. He wants us. He calls us into partnership with Himself. I love that verse at the beginning of Mark's Gospel. And it's talking about the call of the disciples. And the disciples, were, they were a pretty rum bunch. I mean, there was a lot of interesting people in that group of 12 disciples. Uh, and uh, we're told by Mark that Jesus called his disciples to himself. And it says that he called those he wanted. He called those he wanted. God called you, friends, not because you're perfect, not because you're wonderful. He called you because he loved you, and he called you because he wants you. And in a world where people are wrestling with the issues of significance and why am I here and am I loved and all the things that make us uh, the, the people that we need to be and God wants us to be, it speaks into the very heartland of all of these things. Radical obedience 
giving yourself to the love of God, to the will of God, and to the purpose of God for a kingdom purpose. And that's what God was calling the 75-year-old man uh, to do. Radical obedience in response to God's call. But thirdly, it also was issued as an urgent command. God says to Abraham, go. He doesn't say, I think you might want to think about it and perhaps make plans, and maybe you might do it in the future. It is issued, as one commentator puts it, as a divine imperative. This is not for the future or for the land of never, never. This is for here and now. It must be done. And what God is impressing on Abraham is that the call that he is given is that which demands action, not in the future, but in this present moment of reality in which he stands. There is not a moment to lose. Now is the time. Now is the moment God is telling Abraham. Is that a word for somebody here this morning? Is God calling you to step out in faith? to move on into a new, and unex a new and exciting and unexpected future. And you're playing for time. You're putting off. You're pretending to God that you've not heard him right and you're not sure when you know fine well God has spoken to you and you know what he wants you to do. Procrastination is the thief of time. As Shakespeare once put it in one of his plays, is that what you're doing? Time is being stolen away because you're wasting time. You're playing for time. You're putting off for tomorrow what you know God is calling you to do today. What does it say in the writer to the Hebrews? If you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart, for now is the appointed time. Now is the moment and the day of salvation. This is urgent. God wants Abraham to start walking with him now. And perhaps God's call and command is given to you in the same manner. But also, fourthly, it is graciously renewed, graciously and providentially renewed, verse 1. And at this point, we have to turn uh, detective somewhat, because what is actually hinted at in this case is something that perhaps we don't maybe immediately pick up on. Because normally we just assume God speaks to Abraham in Haran, he upsticks and goes. Well, that's not quite how it's written. Look at the uh, first part of the verse. It's written in the past tense. God had said to Abraham. So, the suggestion here is that this call is not a new call or a first call, if I can put it like that. This is a call that has been renewed and is being renewed. He has received it before. That's what's implied. And it's confirmed if he were to turn to Acts 7 verse 2. Here is Stephen at the beginning of his great sermon before the Sanhedrin, before he's martyred. And he says that God calls Abraham, listen to this, while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And that begs the question, why? That's the only reasonable conclusion we can come to. We'll go back to the previous chapter, 31 and 32 of chapter 11. Here we're told a little bit about Abraham's family background. His father is called Terah. Uh, and uh, it would appear uh, that uh, in these verses they tell us that uh, Abraham and his family, they were called. Uh, to leave Mesopotamia, or out of the Chaldeans, as some older, older translations have it. They were called to leave there, uh, and uh, they were called to go uh, to Canaan. And it would appear that they began to do that. They left Mesopotamia, and they got as far as Haran, but there they stayed. And they didn't finish the journey. And in the next verse, we're told, verse 32, uh, that Terah actually died. He stays so long that he doesn't actually complete the journey. 
that they were meant to undertake. And that begs the question, why? Well, to be totally honest with you, we don't really know, but we can, if I can call it, if I can call it this way, we can intelligently and reasonably speculate uh, as to what the reason for this might have been. We do know for definite, for sure, that Haran in those days was a center of the worship of the moon god. And according to later Jewish tradition, uh, uh, they believed that Terah, Abraham's father, was a silversmith or an idol maker, depending uh, how you uh, translate it. Uh, and if you put these two things together, it would seem that when Terah uh, Terra arrived in Haran, you thought, hmm, this is a good place to set up shop. I may get some business here. I could build up uh, my wealth uh, and, and my business. And it would appear from what Abraham does as he takes all his uh, goods and all the things he's acquired, uh, that may well perhaps indeed have become uh, a reality. But whatever his reasoning and his motivation, the spiritual implication of his decision is made really very clear. And it is this. The journey that God had commanded the family uh, to complete through Abraham being given this call of God, the call is not completed, and the journey is not completed either. So they have not obeyed what they've been called to do. And it's for that reason that God gives this radical call to Abraham that seems on the surface, as we noticed a moment or two ago, rather harsh and rather unkind. Because God knows that if Abraham is going to obey that call, then he's going to have to cut ties. He's going to have to make that radical decision to leave the clearly powerful influences of his country, of his, uh, his family, his father's household, and the place in where he's been living. And God knows that unless Abraham does this, he is going to go nowhere, not just in the physical sense, but spiritually as well. And so it's for that reason that God gives Abraham this that on the surface seems a harsh and a cruel call. But God in his wisdom that we don't always see at first gives it to Abraham out of love and compassion and understanding and in order that his call and his will and his purpose might be fulfilled uh, through Abraham and his life. But it's not only that. We see God's call being renewed in another way and it's, it's this. God graciously is calling Abraham it would appear when you work out the timeline, he is doing it after Terah, his father, had died. He waits until dad is no longer around. And he then, it would appear at this point, issues graciously and providentially again uh, this call. Here is God working out his purpose and plan, not just for the world through Abraham, but his call and his purpose for Abraham, even down to the personal small details of his life, even down to his family, his family relationships, who's going to be there, how they're all getting on, how it's going to affect all that they're going to do. Friends, we have a God of the details. Do you believe that? I hope you do. We have a God who is the God of the details. God doesn't just take care of the big stuff. He takes care of the small stuff right down to the smallest, most intimate details of your life and that of your family. And what we learn here, I think, also is this, that God sometimes in His grace and love, and even though it can be painful sometimes as well, He will remove certain things and sometimes certain people as well from our lives, before we are in that fit state to move on in response 
to his call. And here we see God graciously, thoughtfully, sensitively, and with infinite wisdom and profound detail, working the reality of these things out in Abraham's life and experience. And who knows, perhaps in yours and mine this morning as well. So there's the call that Abraham receives. Let's look, uh, secondly then, at the promises that God makes to him. And uh, he gives uh, Abraham four promises. Here's what they are. First of all, he promises that he will lead him uh, where he wants him to go. Secondly, he promises that he will make him what he wants him to be. Thirdly, he promises that he will protect him as he travels. And then fourthly, he promises that he will use him uh, to accomplish uh, his purpose. So what does he first of all promise? He promises where he will lead him to where he wants him to go. He says, you're going to go to the land, notice, that I will show you. The very first thing God says to Abraham after he's called him, I'm going to take you, he says, not to a land. I will take you to the land where I want you to go. And so what we're being really shown here is this, that as we step out in faith, God moves towards us. To put it in a simpler and snappier way, it's as we go, God will show. That's what's happening. You go, Abraham, and I will show you the land that I want you to enter into. But notice this, please, also. God does not tell Abraham everything that he needs to know. He doesn't give him precise directions. He doesn't type into Abraham's sat-nav and say, right, here's how you're going to get to Haran. He doesn't say, right, look up Google Earth and you can plan it all out and you'll find the way. He couldn't even ask Alexa in those days either. So he had to do it totally by faith and totally in God's hands. God gives him enough information to get Abraham not to the conclusion of his journey, no. He gives him enough information to get him to the next point in his journey and pilgrimage of faith. And that, friends, is precisely what traveling by faith with God is all about. If God told you the end from the beginning you wouldn't be traveling by faith. You'd know where you were going. But that's not how God works in His grace. He knows giving us all the information is too much. I look back in my life, and there are, there are things that I'm very grateful that I didn't know were coming uh, down the track, and I only had to deal with them when the time came. God knows what we can deal with and what we can take and, and handle. And so He gives us enough for the next year two or three years, maybe the next six months, maybe the next week, maybe the next day, depending what your life circumstances are all about. But that's what walking by faith, friends, is all about. It's about putting our faith and our trust and our future into God's perfect hands, knowing, as the old hymn puts it, that he knows the way he taketh, and I will walk with him. We walk by faith, says Paul, and not by sight. The world switches it around. Maybe God's calling you this morning, challenging you, Maybe you've been a believer for all your life. But he's saying, I want you to walk by faith and not by sight. Let me take you the next step of the journey. You don't need to know the journey's destination. I'll show you that when the time is right. I want you to step out. As you go, I will show where I want you to go to and to travel to next. So he promises he'll lead him to where he wants him to go. Secondly, God also promises that he'll make him what he wants him to be. Verse 2. He promises Abraham that he'll make him two things. First of all, he says, I'll make you into a great nation. And that's significant. God could have said, I'm going to make you into a great people. But he doesn't. He uses the word nation quite deliberately and intentionally. 
And nation implies something quite different. It, in, it implies a people who have a clear identity, a national sense of who they are. They have their own law, their own government, and most importantly of all, they have their own land in which they live. And think about the context into which God gives this promise. He's promising Abraham this as he is on his very way to this land of Canaan that God is going to give him. And that through his descendants, all nations will be blessed and that his descendants one day will ultimately claim and possess as their own, uh, as the people of Israel. So I'm going to make you into a great nation. And think about this. God is saying this to Abraham. He's 75 years old. His wife's the same and they're barren. They're past it physically for having kids and they don't have any kids at all. No child, no son to come after them, nothing. And God says to Abraham, from you, from you and, and you, your old wife who's equally as old as you and who is barren and who has had no kids, from you, from such unpromising beginning, I am going to make you into a great nation. Only God can make that promise and fulfill it. So he promises Abraham, that's what's going to happen. I will make you, two people, into a great nation. But secondly, he also says to Abraham something else. He says that he will make his name great. And this is quite interesting. There's a little bit of irony going on here as well. God's going to make Abraham's name great, not by his own proud, vain efforts, like the people of Babylon had been trying to do that we've just noticed a moment or two ago. He is not going to make a name for himself. No. God says, I will make your name great. You will be remembered long after these other people who have tried to make a name for themselves are gone and are dust, but it will be the result of the gracious, sovereign work of God in your life, and for no other reason. I will make your name great. We live in a world, don't we, that's full of people who want to make great names for themselves. You want a great name, friends? then let God give you that great name. Because a great name in the sight of God is far better than anything that man has the power to give. So God promises Abraham, secondly, what uh, he will make him. He promises that he'll make him what he wants him to be. I'm going to shape you, Abraham, to become that man of faith that I want you to be. You see, friends, God sees you as you are, but he also sees you the day when he is finished with you and you stand perfect before him. You can't see that. I can't see that for me, but God can. We're all in that process, are we not, of becoming. God does see the end from the beginning, and he sees the end in terms of where we perhaps are now at the half point in our lives. God sees all these things. So he promises that he'll lead him where he wants him to go, make him where he wants him to be, and thirdly, that he will protect him as he travels. Uh, and this is important. Abraham's traveling on his way uh, to the land of Canaan. And he says, look, I'm going to bless those who bless you. Uh, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. Those who sin against you will know my punishment. And those who bless you, uh, I'm going to, I will bless them. And that is exactly what happened. If you look through the rest of Abraham's career, that is what takes place. Actually, if you go from uh, verse 10 of the same chapter, he goes into Egypt, which he shouldn't have done. And Abraham takes his wife Sarai as his own wife, uh, and God punishes, Ab uh, God punishes uh, Pharaoh uh, for his sin. But really what God is saying to Abraham is this, as you go, and as I show you where you're going to go, you will not walk alone. 
I'm not uh, a great football fan. I know Ross is, but I'm not a great football fan. But there's one song that I am aware, I think it's Liverpool, I think. Ross can keep me right if I get it wrong. Uh, that famous football song, You Will Never Walk Alone, that they shout from the terraces. And here is God saying to Abraham the same, you will not walk alone. As you go, I will go with you. My presence will not depart from you. As you walk out in faith, as you let me show you the future that I have for you, I will walk with you. I will journey and travel with you. And that is what God is saying to Abraham. I will be with you to protect you through times of harm and danger, times of peace and times of blessing. What a wonderful God, friends, we have in worship this morning. He promises to protect us as we walk by faith with him. And then finally, God promises that he will use him, verses 2 and 3, to accomplish his purpose. And it's in these verses that not once but twice, God promises Abraham that he will be a blessing and that through him, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And what God is starting to do here is to reveal to Abraham a little of the great blessing and ultimate purpose that he has, which is that from one of Abraham's descendants would one day uh, bring uh, and come forth the salvation of the entire world and would be a blessing to the nations. And of course, that happened with uh, the birth, the death, and resurrection of Christ. As we remember, as we're going to in a moment or two, Christ's death for us on the cross. Here is God pointing to Abraham, this great Old Testament saint. Just after he's announced his purpose, he says, look forward down to the years and corridors of time to that great moment that I will fulfill the promise that I make to you an old nomadic Bedouin trader. Because that's basically what Abraham was, a nobody, but somebody who'd become a somebody in the hand and purpose and economy of God. So there we have the promises that God makes to Abraham uh, as he begins to step out. What does Abraham do? Uh, well, let's look at the response that he makes, the obedience of Abraham's response, that top title seems to have vanished. Never mind, we'll, we can just use it anyway. The obedience of Abraham's uh, response. Three little quick things here before we move on in terms of the obedience he displays. First of all, he leaves, verse 4, at God's command. Secondly, verse 5, he takes what God has given. And thirdly, verse 5, he arrives in Canaan as God had planned. So he leaves in verse 4. I love the simplicity of what is said here. It just simply says, so Abraham left at God's command. It was time for Abraham to leave. It was time for Abraham to go. Not think about it, not talk about it, not plan it, not even maybe pray about it. It was time to do it. It's time, Abraham, for you to start walking by faith. You put one foot in front of the other, and maybe God's calling you to do the same in your own life and heart experience. You've been sitting down for too long. You've been thinking and talking and praying and planning about it for too long. I've told you what I want you to do. It's time to strap on your walking shoes and go. It's time to move on. It's time to move out in response to my command. But he also secondly takes what God has given. Verse 5, we're told that Abraham took all his goods, animals, and slaves, and everything that God had clearly allowed them uh, to acquire, and they left for the land of Canaan. And that's quite significant. The point I think the Scriptures really are making here is this. Abraham was not coming back. This was it. This was for keeps, as we say. You see, friends, if you're going away for a fortnight in the sun, you might pack a, 
particularly big suitcase and you make sure you've got all that you need, but you don't take all the house contents with you. You leave it behind because you're coming back. But that's not what Abraham is doing. He takes everything, everything that was his, everything that he owned, the furniture, the carpets, all the stuff that he had, uh, his animals, his family, his, his, his slaves, his servants, the lot. He takes everything because he wasn't planning on returning. This was it. He was going and he was not coming back. Abraham was not hedging his bets and leaving something behind just in case things didn't work out like many of us are often tempted to do. Rather, instead, he takes all that he has and all that God has given to him and he steps out in faith in obedience to God's call, his remarkable call upon his life. And he fulfills what God's asked him to do. Thirdly, we're told, verse 5, he arrives in Canaan as God had planned. It just simply says, Abraham arrived there. And again, I love the simplicity and almost the understatement of what's being said uh, here. He simply arrived. And I think what God's word at its most basic is teaching us this morning is this, in verse 5, Abraham is now where God wanted him to be. Abraham, you're in the place that I want you to be. Can I ask you, brothers and sisters, this morning? Can you say that with your hand on your heart? I am where God wants me to be. I am doing here what God has called me to do, because Abraham could. He was able to say what uh, Jacob, his grandson, was to say uh, many years later. I am in the place of God. I am where I am meant to be, and I am doing what I'm meant to be doing. Abraham can say that. Friend, can you and I say that this morning as we sit here in the holy presence of God? I pray that we can. But Abraham arrived in the place that God wanted him to be. And may that be our experience this morning as well. And then fourthly, finally, in the few moments that we have left, the blessings that Abraham receives. Three little blessings, and then we are finished. Here's the first of them. Uh, he is given the land. Verse uh, 7. Uh, in this verse, uh, God, having shown Abraham the land, he's going to give to him, verse 1, we are told in verse 7 there's a change. And the change is this. He is now given the land. And that begs the question, why? And the answer, I think, is simply this. God is responding in blessing to Abraham's obedience. For we never can prove, says the old hymn, the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for those who trust and obey. That is simply what Abraham had done. He had trusted God. He trusted his word. He'd done what God had said, and he had gone out in obedience. And so God comes and responds to him and says, Abraham, I've shown you the land. Now I have given it to you. It is going to be for you and for your descendants who will come after you. They will possess it. And the day will come when, they, when the Canaanites of verse 6 that are still in the land, they will no longer be there because I'll put them out. Because this land I'm promising to you now is going to be for your descendants and those who will follow after you. So he shows them the land and then he gives them the land because Abraham has stepped out in obedience and faith. And Abraham responds to that. Secondly, he worships in the land, verses 7 and 8. Here is Abraham's response to God's gift of the land of Canaan. 
His response is simply that of worship. We're told that Abraham built two altars, one at Shechem and the other uh, at uh, Bethel. Uh, and we're told that he there called on the name of the Lord. And it's quite interesting that Abraham builds not one but two altars, and they almost certainly uh, would have been built of stone. And we're told that quite deliberately because it's juxtaposed next to what we're then told next, that Abraham pitched his tent. If you build an altar of stone, it's lasting, it's permanent, it's going to be there for a long time. It's a permanent fixture. But for those of you who do camping, I can't say I'm one of them, but for those of you that do, you pitch a tent. It is flimsy, it is profoundly temporary, and it is not going to stand ultimately the test of time. Here, Abraham got his priorities right. He builds two altars, and he builds them of stone. They will stand the test of time, and he's living in his flimsy, temporary tent because he got it. The things of this life are fleeting and are only but for a moment. And it was because of that, I think we're told, that Abraham, as part of his worship, called on the name of the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord God Almighty, is his God who is working out his plan and his purpose for Abraham's life and for that of the world. And that Abraham has now pledged himself to say, yes, Lord, I will respond and have responded in faith to what you've called me to do. I will worship in this land that you've shown me and that you have now promised to give me. And how does the story end and ends finally? Verse 8, Abraham lives in the land. We're told Abraham pitches his tent and he lives in the land as one who would have been seen as an alien and as a foreigner. And the Canaanites are still in the land. They're going to be pushed out by Joshua later on, as you would know. But he does this, knowing that the day is coming when all the land that he can see to the north and south and to the east and to the west will one day belong to his descendants. And that from his descendants would one day come forth the one who would bring the blessing of God's forgiveness on the entire world. And friends, all of these things happened because one man responded to the call of God on his life. He heard God's call. He stepped out in obedience to God's call. He took the promises of God's word at God's word. He took God at his word. And because of that, he knew and received and experienced the blessings that only God had the power to give. Friends, is it time for us this morning in a way that maybe is known only maybe between you and God. It is time to start walking by faith. Maybe for the first time. Maybe as we come to the Lord's table the next five minutes or so, and you come to know that moment, well, I need to know Christ as my own living and personal Savior. As we were talking about with the kids, I don't know Jesus in that way, but I want to. It's time for you to receive his forgiveness, his cleansing, to walk by faith in a new and living way with Christ as your Savior and Lord. Perhaps for others of us this morning, it is time that we come back again afresh to the Lord and say, Lord, you call me to walk by faith with you. But I've been disobedient. I've been holding out. I've been refusing you. I've been playing for time. I just haven't played gone and done it. But Lord, as I come before your table, as I take bread and wine in my hand again, and I'm reminded of what you have done for me, Lord, those days of disobedience and of dragging my feet are over. I'm going to walk by faith with you from this day forwards till you come or call because I have received your call. 
in your grace. And because of that, I will believe the promises of your word. I will go forward in obedience that I might walk in the blessing of Almighty God. Let us pray, friends, together. Lord, we thank you for the deep challenge that we have received, Lord, from your word this morning. Forgive us, O God, for the times we've heard your voice and pretended that we haven't. When we've heard your voice and have in arrogance and sinful rebellion refused to walk, Lord, in the way of faith. Help us, we pray, O Lord, to cast aside those things, to allow you to set us free from those things if need be, that would keep us from walking, Lord, with that step that is firm and free and marked by faith. Give us, Lord, we pray, that pilgrim heart and spirit, that when your voice is truly heard, with obedience glad and steady, we might rise, O Lord, to walk with thee. Help us, Lord, we pray to do that now, to walk by faith and not by sight. Hear us, precious Lord, as we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.